Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 145 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. We have talked on this podcast about cybersecurity over the course of the three now into the fourth season that we've been doing this show, but uh, and and a couple of times we've touched on the OPM cyber breach from 2015, Robert. But what the government has gone through and is going through with solar winds is probably the most extensive and the most comprehensive cyber threat, challenge, breach, whatever name you want to attach to it, that I'm aware of in the past 15 years or so. It's like we had the world's worst pandemic. We had the world's worst economic crisis. Let's just add on the world's worst ever cyber attack. And our next guest can probably help clarify whether or not that comparison is true. I'm a little worried that the whole show is going to have to be redacted, uh, given <laughs> who our guest is, but, but we'll see. Uh, Curtis Minder is the CEO of GroupSense. And uh, Curtis, welcome. And first of all, what's GroupSense and how does it fit into uh, this space? Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. <clears throat> GroupSense is a cyber intelligence and digital risk protection company. Primarily, we're focused on commercial companies, digital assets. Uh, th- think breach notification, uh, stuff that has left your, your corporate network that should not have uh, and, and ended up in places it should not be. We monitor for that. We help companies remedy that, uh, that, that, that process. Yeah. What's your takeaway when you look at the potential loss and the potential exposure at something like solar winds wow i mean to the government's credit to the federal government's credit you know they're they're working on the supply chain issue security issue with the cmmc and and, and things like that uh, i think when we think supply chain we think uh hard you know metal things and <laughs> stuff like that but uh, you know there's a huge component of supply chain that revolves around software supply uh, and and, and that, that's what the solar winds uh, thing is about. The the attack was uh, certainly clever on the on the on the threat actors part and very sophisticated, uh, embedding themselves in the in the uh, update and distribution methods uh, that solar winds has. I mean, it it like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Robert, it, it could be one of the largest cyber attacks we've ever seen. Uh, and the fact that it went undetected for such a long time, I mean, it's it's really uh, hard to measure the impact of this. But it looks like they weren't trying to do damage. They were just trying to steal or spy, right? The big threat has been that our critical infrastructure could be damaged as a result of an attack like this. Uh, But that doesn't appear to be what's happened, or at least we caught it before it did. Is that right? Well, it's hard to know exactly what was exfiltrated over that time, right? And, and I think that's something that we're going to be wondering for a while as we triage this from from organization to organization. But, I, you know, an intelligence expert would argue that the, the spying and the intelligence exfiltration that occurred is damage. <laughs> we just yeah. don't know the, the actual tangible outcomes from that damage. And and that's the scary part is, we you know, we don't know where this is going to lead. Um, and it, they, like, they were in there long enough that they could have ex- exfiltrated a significant amount of data from these organizations. You mentioned a couple of the tools that the government's applying to try to lock down its supply chain. And I, I appreciate the distinction that you make because you're right. A lot of people do think the supply chain is just the stuff, the pieces of equipment, and it's not. Um, 
what do you see as the potential hole still in that entire chain? Both people, well, not, just, not both, but all of uh, people process technology. And I think this is universal. It's not specific to the federal government. Uh, the, this problem exists in enterprises across the world. Uh, we see it every day in our business. The, the, there, there are levels of suppliers, right? There's, there's primary suppliers, secondary suppliers, tertiary suppliers. And the further down the chain you get, uh, the, the less oversight and, and frankly, capability of oversight um, there is. And so while you may be able to uh, apply some level of, of policy and measurement on you know, your, your secondary suppliers, if you're talking about a very large organization, like the DOD, <laughs> those tertiary suppliers, uh, there's probably thousands of them, right? And um, and who they employ or whom they employ, and what they do with the data that they're given is is uh, is hard to measure and hard to, to gauge. Um, so that I think it's a it's it's not a technology problem necessarily, but it is. There's certainly a scale problem there. Uh, in, in in most of the uh, existing sort of audit processes we have are are largely manual. So there's surveys, things like that, right? So, you know, those, they're, they're also sort of voluntary from, from the other side, like they're, they're not gonna disclose everything necessarily. Um, so to the, the extent we can apply a technology to validate those things, it helps. Uh, but the scale problem is, is universal. I remember the first time we met Curtis leaving the experience a little chilled after learning what you shared in, there's a soup of acronym agencies that are focused on these various issues you know CISA theoretically oversees the government's cyber posture uh, Department of Commerce identifies some hostile entities DOD takes that list and t tells you who, who you ought to cleanse your supply chain of and you we, before we started we were talking about OFAC at, at, at Treasury so you can talk a little bit about that but first how do you, you know, in the contractor community, people see evol evolving laws like Section 889, which requires you not to have certain suppliers in your supply chain as sort of a nuisance? And things that are, because those companies are so integrated in our supply chain, uh, untangling them is so difficult that it's impractical to impossible. I find they don't really step back and say, why is this an issue? What do you tell people? the dangers are of not doing that? Well, I mean, in the commercial space, it, 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 it's frankly intellectual property loss. And <clears throat> with, uh, you know, there are other countries like China who, who have actual missions around acquiring our commercial intellectual property. <clears throat> so it, as a, if you're looking at it from a, a targeting perspective, it is much easier for a nation state to target a supplier than the core uh, manufacturer, for example. So if you're talking about a manufacturer of tractors, right, or, or something like that, that China would be interested in the intellectual property for attacking the, for example, South American distributor partner for the supply chain there is, is they're a softer target. It's easier. Um, and that's, that's, that's really the risk uh, there. And you, you could apply that same discipline to, to the federal government as well. So but, I mentioned the Office of Foreign Asset Control um, and you mentioned that they've recently issued regulations that, that can impact um, the way you're dealing uh, with ransomware attacks or other incidents. 
GroupSense in, has, over the last couple of years, gotten very involved in, in, in ransomware response. Uh, specifically, we do a lot of ransomware negotiations on behalf of the victim. <clears throat> so, so wait a minute. Sure. So, so you're, you're stepping in to negotiate between the victim, the company or organization, and the criminal who has been able to um, uh, apply the ransomware. Yep, that's exactly it. How do those Fair negotiations fun. usually go? Well, to be honest, I, mean, I wish I could tell you it was like an FBI drama, but it's not. It's it's like uh, um, the, the 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 threat actors that we're dealing with. Most of them are very organized. Most of the uh, the processes that they employ um, are templatized. <laughs> so oh, that's terrifying. Uh, yeah. It, it, so we you know most of the time we can go into an engagement. And we will know in advance of, of any discussion with a threat actor a, a rough outcome. Uh, we we kind of know what's going to happen before it happens. That said, we do we do have on occasion the um, the the rogue actor. Uh, that's a little bit more exciting uh, from a process standpoint because it's it's a it's a, a traditional negotiation. We don't exactly know how that person's going to behave, um, and so we've done a handful of those as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's largely uh, mechanical in nature sometimes comically so like uh i'll give you an example um the the threat actors will often use uh tactics like foil um to to uh help them in the negotiation so i will say hey you know i'm, I'm working on behalf of client this client uh we can't afford the ransom because of x y or z and that person so we will propose a number for perhaps that that person on the other side the threat actor uh the bad guy will say well look i i don't only have approval to discount by this much, I have to go ask my boss. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it's, wow. It's, it's, it's almost comical. Can I uh, speak with your manager, please? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly like what it is. like of ransomware. <laughs> yeah. We have not seen or heard about many, maybe any instances of ransomware in the federal government. Do you think that's because the federal government has done a better job at mitigating risk or has it done a better job of negotiation and triage and cleanup or some other reason, Curtis? Well, I do think that, that the federal government has been a target in the past. And I, and I, I can't think of the agency, but I, I there and I wish I would pre prepared for this. If I'd known you were going to ask me that question, I would have come with it on the, on the call. That's OK. It, it has occurred. I'm, I'm relatively certain. OK. But I, I think it's a combination of things when I was talking about the intellectual property scenario, and I was talking about soft targets. Um, the 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 ransomware gangs, uh, as 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 it were, are very selective, uh, and, and they they sort of verticalize their attacks based on that, based on soft targets that can yield big results. So, for example, when COVID hit, they made a huge press for school districts hmm. because everybody was remote, <laughs> hmm. and if they could lock if they could lock down the school district, it would it would just shut everything down. Um, and they they could get a quicker response. They did. Uh, they after that shortly after that this year they targeted uh, shipping and logistics. So think about that. A cargo ship uh, has very little technical technical capability, especially from a network defense perspective. But if you were able to lock it down, uh, it could shut down billions of dollars of transactions. So they're more likely to just pay the ransom. So I think it's a combination of 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 that the soft target versus hard target plus. I think the federal government is less likely to actually pay a ransom, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and 
back to the Office of Foreign Asset Control, you mentioned that they recently issued some guidance around ransomware. What did, what was that about? Well, the, there was a, a memo from the, from OFAC and from the Treasury Department that were very similar in nature. They basically stated that, hey, if as, as a victim of ransomware, if you pay or facilitate, which would apply to me, facilitate the payment uh, of, of a ransomware ransom to a threat actor that is on the OFAC sanctions list, then you are su you're subject to civil penalties. Um, in the the issue with that, and I actually think this expands into one of your earlier questions, Robert, about you know the the supply chain side thing of things too, which is where you're you're imposing these these particular regulations. You're looking at someone who's already a victim, has very little resources, uh, and in a lot of cases, for the small to medium businesses that we work with, it is a it could be a business ending event. Um, and so, what it what it does is it, it actually drives the behavior underground where where uh, a particular uh, firm, let's say a, an architecture firm or you know, mid-level architecture firm or something like that would normally involve law enforcement right away, they may not do that. And, uh, and they, you know, they'll take their chance on the civil penalties, but they don't wanna go out of business, so they're gonna pay the ransom. And um, so you know, my thoughts on that, and, and same with, with the supply chain regulations is, it's, it's good to have those, those, those controls in place, but there should be a larger program around that, um, to, that 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 moves us closer to the goal, which is, if the spirit of those things is to to disincent people from paying ransoms to bad guys, so the bad guys stop doing the ransom, right? If that's the goal, uh, a larger program around that, which would include some sort of government program to help the victims recover without paying a ransom, would be a better, more holistic approach. And I do think that there's probably an ROI uh, attached to that for, for the federal government because literally millions of dollars a day leave the country in Bitcoin or Monero or Ethereum uh, into Russia, Belarus, Moldova, <laughs> literally every day. And um, so I, I do think if somebody would sit down and put pen to paper, there's, there's, a, there's a logic for a program like that. It, it's just dawned on me that leaving this conversation is not going to be more comforting than the last time we met. <laughs> I do that. I do that to people. I'm sorry. <laughs> we just have a couple of minutes left for Robert to feel uncomfortable about things, Curtis. Um, <laughs> is there a way to get ahead of this uh, is, is my next to last question. And my last question is, do these people tend to actually follow through when you negotiate a settlement with somebody when you ne negotiate a deal with somebody they're criminals so i always wonder if they would continue to be criminals by turning around and shirking out of the deal <laughs> when we engage with a client one of the we kind of bookend the, the, the entire engagement with this narrative which is look we're about to enter into an agreement with on, a, on the honor system with someone who has no honor or accountability so Results may vary. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business decision. Now, history has shown that, that for the most part, they do honor the deal. Uh, like there, there's been different reports done on this, but relatively one to 2% of the time, the bad guys, for whatever reason, don't, don't follow through on unlocking the files or something like that. <clears throat> most of the time they do. And that's because uh, they're building a brand. They, they, you know, if, if, they, if they did that too often, nobody would pay the ransom. Uh, and so it seems, seems to work uh, most of the time. Now, can we get ahead of it? And I think this also applies to the supply chain thing. You know, when we do these, we, we, we engage with the, the incident response teams. Those are the technical people that are in the network trying to figure out how the bad guy got in. 
and we we try to understand that as well like how how did the bad guy get in because one of the things we want to know when we engage in the beginning is can the bad guy still get in because that's leverage in a negotiation if the bad guy can still get in <laughs> that's a lot of leverage um and so we want to know uh what we learned is most of the um, sadly most of these things uh are avoidable most of the most of these breaches are easily avoidable and there's a list of like a handful of things i can count them on one hand that that uh you know most enterprises could do that would uh reduce the risk of these types of attacks tremendously and simple things and they're not it's not new technology it's nothing fancy it's policies procedures and, and maybe a little bit of software tweaking it's it's nothing big and so that that's the frustrating thing for us for every one of these things that we engage in we're like it's the same five or six simple mistakes you know all right, you feel as bad as you did the last time you hung out with Curtis Robert? Are you as are you as a hundred percent? I want to know if you do you have a refrigerator magnet with your number on it? I just put it for easy access in case I need you. <laughs> we we do have a ransomware hotline on our on the front page of our site. Uh, sadly, that gets used more and more frequently. <laughs> um, Curtis, it's terrific insight. It's a really important topic, and we appreciate having you with us today. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.